Episode 69 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the gaming systems created by Fantasy Flight Games. In each episode, we cover a different system, and tonight we'll be covering off uh, Black Crusade. But before we talk about today's show, let's have a quick chat about our last fortnight in gaming. And it's been a pretty good one as far as 40k gaming goes. So we've now done two sessions of Rogue Trader. We actually, our fortnightly group actually played two weeks consecutively just because of schedules. Yep. Hang on, that's taken off mic. Hang on, that's going right. It's going quite well so far. Yeah? Yeah. We haven't even got the, to the ship yet or anything. It's all just been sort of... It's all just been character development stuff, really. We haven't, we haven't had a single fight. We haven't had to really do anything particularly strenuous other than talk to lots of people. Yeah, get the lay of the land and such. One, one player did say to me, oh, I haven't, had to, haven't been able to shoot anything yet, you know, because obviously he wants to shoot things, but... Uh, yeah, I think it's bad. it hasn't been, you know, for wanting as such. It's just been, in actuality, more the problem has been when there's been people following your group that might be potential adversaries. No one's made the perception rolls to actually spot them. No one's noticed that they <laughs> Therefore, they can't be confronted. Therefore, they can't be shot. Yeah. Well, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, and we also did our next session of uh, Dark Heresy by Roll20. Yeah, yeah. So we started Forgotten Gods. And uh, I had to say, I'm, I'm actually quite happy with the pace of the game, you know, so we played for probably, what, two and a half hours of total? I think we hit three hours. Yeah, there, yeah, there about three it, hours, yeah. yeah. And we're maybe, I don't know, a third to a, a quarter to a third of the way through the first act in in the book and such, so yeah, it's, it seems like it's going to be quite a long thing to run through as such, like we are. That's okay. Yeah. I, I think... I'll be honest, having played several Roll20 sessions now, I think it's fair to say that Roll20 does move slower than a standard tabletop game. Yep. Um, except for combat, which seems to actually go a little bit faster. Okay, I mean, it's, it's funny you say that because, like, I've been looking at the Roll20 game in comparing it with other games. So one thing we do very little of is non-game related chat. Yeah. You know, and it's one of the comments we've had on, on YouTube is people saying, oh, I like the fact you guys don't just, you know, diverge into chatting about your week during the game. It's all just the game or it's all just role-playing as such. So I think we do a fair bit of chatting about other... But they're all game-related things that yeah, we end up it. diverging into. So yeah. it's not so bad. Usually it's something about the setting. Yeah, that's it. No one talks about what somebody says, oh, what happened to the work that day, that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, so. I mean... Generally, we don't do that in normal tabletop games, though. Either. Oh, no. Usually, we do that for ages at the beginning. Usually, everyone turns up and we spend the first hour and a half to two hours talking yeah, about crap. I, I should, we should have a drinking game in our next Rogue Trader game. Just every Someone's got to drink every time people talk about stuff unrelated to the game. You'll probably, okay, okay. probably be surprised. Okay. But you have to do it if Dem does it. I get to do it if everyone else does it. <laughs> see, see, this makes no sense for anybody else to listen to this podcast. So. Fair enough. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was all our gaming. Actually, it was just it was just uh, uh, 
forty k stuff. So it's been good to sort of get back on the ball again with doing some forty k role playing too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk about today's show. We'll do our regular news section. Uh, we're going to talk about the advanced horde rule system from the Tome of Blood. Uh, then we're going to talk about the Night Lords archetype. Do our plot hooks and war gear. We're going to review some let's call, let's call stuff. Do some do, just review a couple of things today, and also. Uh, I'm going to talk about fear in Black Crusade, not as a system, because we've covered fear historically, uh, but more as a, a narrative mechanic and, I guess, impacts on your game, uh, both as a player and as a GM as well. And, and it yeah. sort of bleeds out, but it's, it's, it's got some interesting considerations with Black Crusade specifically as well, because the characters are just likely to be causing fear as they are to be receiving yeah, there, it too. There are quite a few gifts that end up causing fear, and I think... Night Lords as well, especially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, that's why I picked it for this one. It fit the topic, you know. So, so yeah, because you've got to remind me, like, the other thing I want to talk about in a future general discussion is about making sure as a gem that you make the story about the characters. That was the other thing I was tossing up with tonight, and I thought I'll, I'll stick with the fear topic because it fits with Night Lords, but uh, okay, yeah. that's the other thing I want to do. Uh, okay, then we'll do our regular community section and finish off the show. Okay. Okay, so let's get straight into it. Commanded knowledge, accessing Imperial archives. Okay, on to the news, and as usual, not a lot from FFG. It's it's less than a month at Gen Con, so uh, I should probably point out, by the way, as well, that we we are not on this year's nomination list for the Ennies. We did put in for it, but there are other fantastic podcasts up there, so good luck to the guys who who were nominated. We'll obviously try again next year as well. Um, Okay, so from, and I'm hoping that we'll see something more from FFG at at Gen Con. Uh, But what we did see in the last fortnight was that uh, Unforgiven, which is the second war pack for Warhammer Conquests for the um, Death World cycle, has now been released. Uh, So that I haven't got that in my hands yet, but it's funny, I noticed looking at the preview for it that it seems to have a Salamander on the front. But all the sampled cards have nothing to do with Salamanders at all. There's there's Dark Eldar, there's. Yeah, I don't know if it's just a cool art I decided to use, but... Uh, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, over to Games Workshop. Uh, I guess the big thing we've seen in the last couple of weeks is the release of the Stormcloud Attack standalone games. Yeah. So have you seen these, have you, Mike? These... Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's basically... Uh, a dogfight game. Yeah, it's a box that you buy, and it comes with two uh, different uh, uh, single-figure fighters. So there's, I think, three different packs, and each one is a different race. So there's, like, one which is... Marines versus Chaos. Uh, I think there's one which is like um, Dark Eldar versus Tau, etc., etc. You know, so um, uh, there are various options there. They are designed to be played standalone. They have various things like missions and such. I haven't had a chance to actually get out to a GW store and play one, but uh, they have been released now as well. Uh, have you heard any more about those at all, or just that they're no. not particularly? No, I mean they are moving more into the flyer side of things as well with the new book and all that sort of stuff, and adds a new element to the game. As long as both sides have got a flyer, or one side's got a flyer and someone's got some sort of anti-air, you shouldn't have any problem. <laughs> that's it. Um, I suppose that's it, really. For okay. Oh, there's also. Well, there, okay. So there's rumours that GW is looking at a new edition of 40k. Yeah. Uh, now, I think we've talked in the past about the speed at which new editions come out and it's getting sooner and sooner. I think, though, that from what I've heard, that this one is partly triggered by some general discontent about the current system. Yeah, the current that, system isn't the best. Yeah, it's, you know, it's flaky here and there. It's, you know... Yeah. Uh, so, I it doesn't look like it'll happen in 2016, but I'd say that 2017 is a... Is a, good a distinct possibility as such. But this is all just rumour, though. Been, none, yeah. none of this has been confirmed yet. 
Also, this week they released the um, new campaign list for Horus Heresy for the Marine Armies. Okay. Along with a collector's edition, a limit to 500 copies, which sold out within a couple of hours. Okay. Well, hold your Horus Heresy stuff just for the moment. Okay. So we'll come back. We'll come back to the bit about that on. Okay. And on the Eternal Crusade front, uh, the Tyranid PBE content was sort of sprung on us. Yeah. So that's now up on the the servers as well. And they're now saying that Orcs will be the next faction that's worked on as well. So um, I haven't had a chance to get on and play since Tyranids came out, but it does sound like it's more of a balancing um, content in PvP matches and such. So, you know, one side's dominating the board, uh, out comes some Tyranids and... Tyranids are suddenly appearing in their spawning points. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it again after we actually had a chance to play that, that feature in the game as well. But they I, have... I have to say it would be an awesome mechanic to stop campers would be gene stealers. Yeah. <laughs> or lictors or something. Yeah. A bit harsh, isn't it, Mike? <laughs> See, this really hate campers, do you? Sometimes. <laughs> All right, well, that's, uh, that's it for the news. So uh, let's move on to our uh, system discussion. Okay. Knowledge is power. Okay, so getting on to Black Crusade, we're sort of starting to get towards the the bottom of talking about new systems, and uh, what I actually want to go through today is an expansion for one of the systems that's already in the main game, and and these are the advanced horde rules that are presented in the Tome of Blood. Yeah. Uh, So, before we get into this, because we have spoken about the horde rules before in episode 33, but that was a Death Watch episode, Um, so let's just do a quick recap of the base horde rules in Black Crusade, just to remind people where we're going from, because there are some people out there who really listen to only the shows of the game they're interested in, you know, but yeah, that's such, yeah. Such, such as you may. Uh, okay, so um, first off, a horde, what, how, what, what's a horde, Mike? What's the purpose of a horde? Um, it's for when you want to have your characters cleaving through large groups of enemies, wantonly, but you don't want to run, you know, initiative roles for 40 different cultists and attack roles for 40 different guys. Yeah, that's it. So it gives you a narrative tool to, to deal with large groups of people. I think it also gives your Chaos Space Marines a, a stronger challenge as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, we it's first, a balancing mechanic too. Yeah, we first saw this in, um, in Death Watch because of the Marine characters as well, because Marines can take on large groups of forces in, in one go as such. Yeah. Uh, okay, so a Horde will have a magnitude score, which is basically a measure of its size. Yeah. Um, and when you're, for example, attacking a horde, you get a bonus based upon the size of the horde. There's just so many of them that you you can't turn around when hitting someone, so therefore you get big bonuses. Yeah. Um, now, one thing is that hordes can't dodge or parry. However, neither can they be dodged or parried because you know once again there's this, there, there's, there's always going to be so someone, many so many in there. To, you're always going to hit somebody, and there's always going to be someone there to hit you. Uh, now, whenever you damage a horde with a weapon attack. As long as you do at least one point of damage after armor and toughness, so you've actually dealt damage, then what you actually do is you deal one magnitude damage to the horde. Regardless of how much damage you actually rolled, it is one magnitude damage. Yeah, it can be modified up or down by talents and yeah, that's the quality so, of your attack rolled. Yeah, so, so, blast we- so in range combat, blast weapons uh, increase damage by their blast value. Flame weapons increase it by, well, they, they just do straight out um, one quarter of their range rounded up, plus 1d5. Um, melee attacks do one damage per two degrees just on the attack roll. Um, so yeah, there's a few different ways yeah. as well. Some talents, some ammunition, a whole bunch of talents, that sort of stuff. Yeah, well. that's it. Um, now hordes themselves, as they go down in level uh, to 50, half their size, 25% of their size, they will actually start to make willpower rolls. And at 25%, they automatically break and run. Effectively, you have 
you know, shatter them to the point that the morale is gone and off they go. Yeah. Uh, now, when it comes to hordes actually attacking, they automatically attack all enemies in melee range. It's just assumed that if you're based in base-to-base contact with a horde, there's enough people there willing, willing to swing a weapon at you. Um, and they can make one ranged attack per point of magnitude bonus. So if their magnitude is 30, they can make three ranged attacks in a turn. They, they decide what the GM decides where to allocate it to. Uh, and when they do damage, they add their magnitude bonus in D10 to the damage roll to a maximum of plus 2D10. So we've got a magnitude 30, 30 horde with you know, las guns, uh, which normally do 1D10 plus 3. When they hit, they will actually do 3D10 plus 3. Yep. So uh, until they drop down below twenty magnitude, in which case it will just become two D ten. It's like three. laser pointers. If you point enough of them at one person all at the same time, <laughs> they do something. That's it. Yes. <laughs> okay. So they're the base rules from from Black Crusade. Now let's talk about the new rules that are presented in Tome of Blood. And, and I think the first and most important set here are additional rules for how you handle human heretics in combat against hordes. Because I've discussed in the past in previous games, I've always had concerns about, you know, because I, I used hordes in our old um, road training game. But yeah, once you start talking about 3D10 damage, even from a lasgun or such, or a lasgun attack, that could be pretty serious for standard characters. Yeah. So there are a few options that it gives to allow you to make it a bit more survival for human, human heretics. First off, they say you can just not have the human heretic attack or be attacked by the horde. Basically, when they get involved a group or a person breaks away from the horde, thereby decreasing the magnitude of the horde by one, as that person sort of takes away some of its, you know... Um, Collective might. That's it. And, and they then go down to a regular sort of zoomed-in fight between their human heretic and that particular enemy. I, I think it's probably a bit of a sucky way to do it because it might take that human heretic, you know, two or three rounds to dispatch the enemy, whereas the Chaos Space Marines are doing you know, four or five magnitude damage each turn they're depending if dozens they're... of people at the that's swing it. that's it um, okay so then there are some, there are some other optional rules so first off it says that a human heretic attacking a horde will only get a maximum of a plus 10 bonus for the horde size and that's simply because they have to be a bit safer than a space marine they can't just fling themselves you know on uh, wholly into this uh, battle uh, without their power yeah, without or... risking taking the same damage yeah. that a space marine will take so they've got to be a little bit more reserved and that translates to trying to get to the horde where it's, you know... Thinner. Yeah, when it's thinner, exactly right. Uh, now, when you do, when a human heretic does a melee attack, you should halve the magnitude damage dealt rounding up. So the idea here being that, once again, if you're not quite so engaged, then you can't quite deal as much damage. Yeah. Uh, but it does say that you may, if you want to, parry and dodge horde attacks if you're a human heretic because you're a much smaller target you do take a penalty on your roll based upon the size of the horde but it, it's more than a marine gets which is nothing yeah uh, and when you are damaged by melee attacks from the horde then uh, you actually you roll all the dice as normal but you only take the highest dice that were required to make up the weapon damage so say they had great weapons that are 2d10 plus they had additional 2d10 you would roll 4d10 and take the highest two yeah. you don't add them all together you just take you the just, you just take the best yeah, it so becomes you, like a tearing weapon yeah so you're still so you're still going to take big damage but it's not going to be more damage than the weapon would you when, then you'd basically be looking to receive fighting a single opponent one on one in the same way yeah uh, it also advises that when it comes to the ranged attacks most hordes most smart hordes will prioritise their target will prioritise towards 
bigger, more threatening targets. So as a GM, you can sort of re- reduce the risk on players by making sure that those range attacks are distributed to yeah, Chaos mean, Space Marines first. If you've got five players, instead of doing, you know, one, two player, one, three, four player, two, whatever, yeah. you can you can weight the roll if you're randomising attacks. That's it. It also suggests that um, one option for making ranged attacks is if the group has... So if, the, if the magnitude of the horde is more than five times the number of people in the group, then what happens is the, the standard ranged attacks it gets from its magnitude are um, uh, all targeted against Chaos Space Marines, plus the horde gets one additional automatic attack against any human heretics. But that additional attack gains plus 5 ballistic skill per per 10 magnitude of the horde, but gains no additional bonus damage dice. So it's pretty much just like, Arf guy goes, I really should shoot at that person as well. Everyone else around me is shooting at the big guy, so I'll just take one pot shot at this other person to try and, you know, whittle them down and such. Yeah. So, I mean, between these various options, I think this does make hordes... Manageable. Yeah, manageable yeah. and quite, quite a bit more survivable for regular characters. Yeah, definitely. I think you've got, the only time it's really going to be a problem is if it's a complete party of nothing but human heretics. Yeah. Because it's hard to say, yeah, the human heretics are attacking the edges and the sides. When there is... No, there's yeah. nothing attacking the middle. Yeah. But it, it, I guess it doesn't really make sense to say, why would human heretics be... Atta- I mean, the whole point of hordes is that they... Um, yeah, they give you a balance for the for the class space marines. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that being said, I mean, you can get some quite powerful... I mean... Yeah, you certainly can. But yeah, again, you can also get some quite wimpy class space marines. Yeah, you? that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, look at our Black Crusade game. I'd say that probably the strongest combatants in the group well, were the pro- human heretics. Well, yeah, two of the human heretics, that's right, yeah, whereas yeah. your one Chaos Space Marine, like, well, still a decent combatant simply because of these space abilities, uh, was focused on other areas as such. Yeah, so. it was certainly not a you know, close combatant or a particularly arranged combatant. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really do any horde fighting, did we, in that Black Crusade no, game? No, no. no, it's a shame because I had Metal Storm rounds on my character too, so I was all, <laughs> all ready for the hordes to come in, so I could... So, and I think I have one of the talents which helps you decimate... Storm of the <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Decimate as many as possible. That's yeah. it. Oh, well. Yeah. It's all good. Uh, okay, now, on top of the humans versus horde rules, there are some other additional rules as well that are given as options. Uh, first off, it does allow, to say that you may allow players to use the defensive stance or guard of attack actions in combat in order to actually gain an evasion attempt against uh, the horde. Makes sense. Yep. Um, it suggests that uh, hordes, because of their nature as, as large groups that are sort of you know, people are generally um, their confidence is increased by being as part of a uh, a group. It, it suggests that if you are making a fear test for a horde, that they gain a bonus equal to half their magnitude um, to any fear test. But of course, if they fail, that they will just simply flee. Yeah. Um, and then, optionally, it does say if you want to, you can still do the the shock table. That doesn't mean everybody in the horde is necessarily automatically on the ground throwing up, but just that you know that's what a large group is doing, and the rest are are fleeing in panic because of it as such. Um, and it also says that uh, you may allow Horde to take additional common actions such as grapple, knockdown, overwatch, and suppressing fire. You know, it's wow, a, a grapple of seventy <laughs> guys grappling one person. Well, it's pretty much it's like just a, a dog pile. Isn't it? yeah, exactly, it's it's like it's like an English so- like an English soccer right, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, you just crush the people into the ground as you uh, as, as you tackle them effectively. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, anyway, so there's additional rules there. Uh, also, there are some new horde traits presented in um, uh, Tome of Blood. So these are things you can add to a horde stat block in order to give it new and interesting features. 
So we've got uh, uh, Blood Soaked Tide, which means that um, when a horde would normally break, instead it does not break, but it gains the Fearless and Frenzy talents yeah. as they lose their, <laughs> their, 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 their control and just go hell further at the, at the players or yeah. at, the, at the opponents. Uh, disciplined means that um, the horde doesn't actually suffer magnitude penalties to the willpower rolls made to as a magnitude goes down 75 50 they're accumulating penalties disciplined hordes still make the roll but don't take the penalty yeah um, exemplary execution is what I like is uh, you can choose to reduce the magnitude of the horde by one in order to re- re-roll a failed willpower test so some commander pretty much sees them saying to run, pulls out his pistol and executes one guy and says, turn and fight, you cowards. Yeah, it's probably when you've got a horde <laughs> of Imperial Guards containing a commissar. Exactly right, yes. Yeah. Uh, fanatical Devotion um, means that it actually gains more attack and damage. So more bonuses to attack and bonuses to damage as its magnitude decreases. Yeah. And also gains a fearless trait. So it pretty much does the Incredible Hulk thing of becoming more... Ang- the, 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 the more injured it is, the angrier it gets. Yeah. Uh, fighting Withdrawal allows the Horde to continue making attack actions when they're falling back, once they've broken. Uh, fire Drill basically just gives the Horde one additional range attack on top of its normally calculated amount. Um, overwhelming adds uh, additional D10 melee damage when over 20 magnitude. I would guess this would probably allow you to exceed... The maximum plus two D ten. Yeah, I'd for, say so. Yeah, I'd say it's for things which you've got lots of grots or tyranids yeah, swarms of it. some kind. Something which you know, gains a bonus from there just being so. Yeah, good. and there's sort of things that, that players should be looking at, and thinking I probably shouldn't run a demo combat with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, regeneration means that each round the horde can make a toughness test um, and regain the regeneration trait level in magnitude plus. An amount equal to their current magnitude bonus. So, yes. So, say for example, they're currently at twenty something, then they would be able to recover the regeneration plus two in levels. Yeah, I'd make it quite clear though that you probably shouldn't let that increase its magnitude above. Oh, it, it, it does specify that it's yeah. the maximum it's starting amount. <laughs> um, okay, so relentless also gains fearless, means they can't run or charge, uh, and they can't lose more than one magnitude from any attack which doesn't include. Blast, power field, scatter, spray, or tearing. So there's at least there's a few options to get around that one there, yeah. yeah but that would certainly be, you know, a, a good one for for limiting how much extra damage a person can do. Yeah. Um, and the last one, yeah, which was clearly made for things like pink horrors, uh, is it's called spawn. And uh, whenever the horde loses magnitude, it can make a toughness test. And on a success, rather than losing, it actually gains magnitude. So if it loses one, it gains one. If it loses 5, it gains 1d5. If it loses 10, it gains 1d10. So, you know, kill one and, you know, cut off one head, two take its place. Yeah. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, I, I guess you just got to look at what you've actually got a horde of. Think about what makes that, that interesting because, like, with any horde, the horde still takes the traits of its component group as such. But some of those things are harder to represent when you're talking about a, a mass group as such. So these are like things like Spawn are a good way to represent that unique creature ability of a pink horror when expressed in a, in a horde format. Yeah. So that's really what's in, in Tome of Blood. It does give you, I guess, a lot more scope for hordes. And I would certainly say that there's no reason you couldn't use these same sort of rules in any other game which uses hordes like Death Watch because 
nothing here is incompatible with the Horde's Rule and Death Watch because it's basically the same rule. Yeah. So, yeah, it lets you sort of build on your options there as well. Okay. I'd, I'd definitely say that if you're doing the the Death Watch thing with the, the, the one human Inquisitor, yes, you should probably consider this sort of rule for the human Inquisitor to stand a chance against a Horde. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, then let's keep going. Okay. All subsequents report to the administrator for career assignment. Okay, let's talk about our career for today. And we're going to do today the Night Lords, uh, Chaos Space Marine. Now, I think a Night Lord is a, is a pretty cool option, I'm going to say, as far as, uh, as, far as the game. I, I, I didn't actually know that much about the Night Lords chapter prior to actually oh, playing Black Crusade for the first time. And then someone actually went and made one in my game, and, like, and I actually read the material, and I'm like, hey, this is pretty cool. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> pretty good. I, I think uh, they borrowed a little too heavily from Batman for some of it. <laughs> Um, but that said, mostly, mostly, I think they're really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess if we're talking about the sort of role they play in your warband, you know, what, what, what the sort of the, the, the buckets they fill first off is that they are masters of stealth. Uh, secondly is that they employ terror tactics. Uh, and thirdly is that they're also, in, they regularly engage in piracy and salvage. So, you know, they, they're all about, you know, acquiring acquiring stuff, killing themselves out, and then using that material to effectively strike fast um, and, uh, and and effectively cow their opponents into surrender or or uh, or defeat. Is that a fair a fair assessment? Do you say, Mike? Yeah, except sometimes the sometimes the terror they cause is the goal itself. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 for the purpose of the show, like I didn't do what we do with Death Watch, where I didn't go and get the whole sort of chapter breakdown. But is there anything you want to sort of bring up? You think really is important from the Night Lords' background at all, or yeah. um, they were probably one of the more degenerate chapters when they turned traitor because it was expected that they were going to be censored by the Emperor either way anyway, so yeah. if the Horus Heresy hadn't come along, they probably would have been wiped out as it was, because they were pretty they were pretty brutal in their, you know, systematic oppression of various worlds. Yeah, we spoke about it last, last um, episode where um, really one of the problems that formed between Conrad Kurz and um, the head of the uh, Salamanders was the fact he didn't agree with Kurz's tactics basically yeah. and, and he was going to go double into the emperor effectively so yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. um yeah it's stuff like that but the other really important thing is the vast majority of night lords yeah. don't actually worship chaos well that's it the the, the group as a whole are mesotheists effectively they, they they hate gods and they hate the concept of of religion and worship as such yeah they hate destiny is yeah. what it is that's yeah. what it comes down to they hate the idea that they don't have control and decisions are already made for them yeah yeah. So, yeah, so it's interesting that they they don't fit even the the classic chaos archetype, but they probably fit it better than they fit the the loyalist archetype. Yeah. So, okay. So, Night Lord traits in Black Crusade they get two traits as do most um, careers. One is Spectral Haunter, which means they get a bonus to any stealth checks and inflict a penalty to any attack checks based on visual hindrances uh, that they they the, the increase is twenty basically. So if they yeah. would get a night fog. Gas, smoke, yeah. dust. Yeah. So, the, so the condition has to exist already, but they are masters of improving but their use of it effectively. When you say the condition has to exist already, they can create the condition. Oh, yeah, certainly. They yeah, can, yeah. you know, they can create a giant fire and shroud the battlefield in smoke. Yeah, but it's not. It's not just a plus three on stealth rolls. No, it's no. it's where you would get a bonus on stealth rolls dependent upon issues to do with visual hindrances. Yeah, 
would, would mean that. So, you, so using a stummer, that doesn't apply because stummer is about an audio, uh, an yeah. audio uh, improvement. What, so what would you say about sneaking through a large field of crops? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that. Yeah, you know, long, long grass raptor style. Yeah. <laughs> Clever girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, the uh, I, I, I certainly think that because at the end of the day that they're relying upon um, visual hint. visual hint, exactly. yeah. coming in underwater, obscuring aquatic, themselves, yeah, aquatic it. insertion at night, yeah, exactly. or just aquatic insertion, yeah, you know, swamp, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all those would work as well. But you know, literally sneaking past, sneaking through a doorway past a guard in broad daylight. No, that's not, not that sort of thing. Uh, okay, uh, and their second ability is terror tactics which means they may spend infamy in order to add fear to the whole group for a whole session. Yeah. Um, it costs two infamy per one fear, and they can add a maximum of four fear for eight infamy. It also requires two days pre-preparation uh, and also a minus 20 intimidate roll. So I guess the question here, and I'm pretty much I know what my answer is, but I'll get your answer as well. So Mike, you're, you're, you've got a night watch playing in a group. He spends two days preparing, spends... His eight infamy fails his minus twenty to eight roll. As he as all that is is the roll does the roll come last? Is all that stuff spent first? I'd say the two days is definitely last. Yeah. Um, personally, I'd actually say that you only lose half the infamy. Okay. I'd just house rule it. Okay. Because I think you should lose something. It sucks, but you know it, there is a risk involved. Yeah. There has to be a risk involved, otherwise they just do it every time. Yeah. That's it. Every, so, every single yeah. session. Yeah, I mean, it still costs. Even, even successful, it's still... I mean, eight infamy is a yeah. lot to lose. Oh, yeah. definitely. <laughs> definitely. But do, do you consider it infamy points like fate points or infamy as in permanent infamy? Oh, okay. That's a good, that's a good question because I, I consider it, it as Because as it doesn't yeah. actually say... Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, okay, well... <laughs> I, I could, given it's for a whole session and affects the whole group, I would I would rule that it was permanent infamy, yeah. and I would probably say if they failed the roll, that the infamy is spent. But provided they do nothing else except spend another two days, they can make another roll on the same infamy spend. That's, yeah, that, yeah, that's that'd why be, that's that'd, why be a, yeah. That, that'd be pretty fair. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Black Crusade more than any of the others sort of requires some hand waving and house ruling yeah. under quite a few circumstances, just because of the nature of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Right. I think either of the ways we've said would be fair. Okay. Uh, so, building a Night Lord. Um, talk about the characteristics first. I sort Willpower. Of, yeah, I went back and forth. Willpower, definitely, because the worst thing about being a person that causes fear is suffering it yourself. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> or pinning or anything else like yeah, that. Yeah, Captain know. Brown Pants <laughs> isn't exactly terrifying. <laughs> that's it. Um, I thought agility. Yeah, because agility, agility yeah. is going to contribute first off towards things like um, stealth. stealth and piloting. Yeah, piloting, aeronautica as such, because they, they often use you know um, jump, uh, packs. jump packs as well. Um, intelligence, I thought, is probably a one one to consider for them as well because yeah, quite a psychological thing. Yeah, that's it. And strength, because strength applies to things like intimidate. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I think that we'll, they'll see probably more melee combat than, than ranged. And I guess there's an odd one, potentially even fellowship. Because some of the social skills that you can use, like things like deceive, for example, that are all part of laying out a more intricate sort of um, psychological warfare campaign, are sometimes initially presented positively. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd go with all of those. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a combat skill, probably I'd, I'd prioritize weapons skill over ballistic skill. Yeah, definitely. But there's something to be said for you know being fired upon by an opponent you can't see somewhere in the distance as such, and not knowing where the next shot will come from is. 
yeah. being a, a terror Inherently tactic. terrifying, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so skills. Uh, I put down awareness. Once again, it's, it helps to be not be seen. Also helps to see who might see you. Yes. Um, deceive. Intimidate, definitely. Uh, I thought that Medicaid was an interesting one to potentially put down because if, you know, if you're good at Medicaid, you can certainly create some very interesting tableaus in order to create fear in your opponent as such. Yeah. If they, if, uh, I, I'm thinking here uh, uh, Event Horizon where the guy walks into the room and the other character is strung from the ceiling in a sort of um, upside down autopsy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> great, great, great for creating fear there. Um, operate, operate Aeronautica, obviously. Uh, scrutiny is one that I came across because once again it helps to in order to create fear in your opponent it helps to understand them first as well. Uh, and, and scrutiny will help really learn about who your opponent is. Uh, security is another one where it means you can better get into the sort of places that you need to be. Uh, and obviously stealth was yeah. the last one. Tech use. Yeah, yeah tech use. I, yeah. I, I, that's it. Tech I, use I, is a definite one because of explosives. Yeah. Yeah. But Creating you, those distractions. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to just try to just want to try explosives without any real training? Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> Okay, so on to talents. Uh, ancient Warrior, you know, for any of the major sort of um, marine chapters, I always like, I'd recommend Ancient yeah. Warrior. Uh, blind Fighting, because Darkness is certainly a, a weapon they'll employ. Uh, combat Master, you know, I, I, I see them as often standing as a lone combatant sometimes, and, and the sort of fear that a, a single opponent can really bring. Uh, Cold Hearted, yeah. uh, Disturbing Voice, and, yeah. and then also uh, that leads on to Baleful Dirge and Warcry as well. Uh, Furious Assault, Sort of goes with the um, uh, the, the the melee combatant role and charging, jaded definitely. Uh, things like lightning attack and preternatural speed. Uh, pity the weak because I yeah. think they probably see most people as as believe them as such. Uh, rapid reaction and finally raptor. Yeah. You know, so they can really get benefits from that that jump pack. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of thoughts on on playing a night lord. I, I'd say that. Um, you need to consider that every single situation you come up to as a new opportunity to test the limits of your own depravity. Yes. Yeah, they are. I, I think I should say that I personally, I think Night Lords are probably the worst group players out of any Chaos Legion. Yeah, that's uh, probably... They, they don't play well with others unless they're other Night Lords. And even then, they're willing to betray the, each other at the drop of a hat. Yeah. You know, they view anyone who follows any of the gods as weak-wheeled fools. They they view people like the word bearers as, you know, deluded fanatics. It's, they view everyone as lesser than them. Yeah. Yeah. So just keep in mind that they're not going to make any fast friends amongst the group. They might make people who respect them and people who are willing to work with them, but they certainly won't make anyone who's friendly with them. That's it, yeah. I guess that leads into my second point, which is um, don't forget that general disdain they have for the gods. You know, the, the, oh, the, yeah. the, the misotheism is a, a thing that runs through the whole chapter as such. And at the end of the day, when everyone else is talking about which god should we dedicate th- this next camp, you know, our next uh, uh, endeavor to, they should be there. You know, they should be there going <laughs> none of them. We should dedicate <laughs> to ourselves. We should just keep the loot for us. <laughs> That's it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and I guess to a, to a final extent, cultivate your own mystique. You know, the less you, uh, people fear what they don't understand. So the, the more people don't know about you, you know, it's, it's the sort of character I would never take the helmet off on. You know, so, so no one never truly knows what the character looks like beneath beneath the helmet and such. You know, it could turn up somewhere else 
completely unarmored and no one having idea it's the same person as such. Yeah, the, the mystique of the character will add to their um, their main strengths later on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially when they always whisper, "I'm Batman." <laughs> you just need to think of a uh, a Latin term, Bru- 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 Brucius. Wayneus or something, you know. Brucius <laughs> Wayneus. <laughs> brother, brother Brucius, that's it, yeah. Brucius. <laughs> that's shocking. I need to go back, <laughs> I need to go back and edit this out, I think. <laughs> okay. Alright, let's keep going. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium. Stand by to receive orders. Okay, Mike, let me give you a, uh, a plot hook here. Mm-hmm. So, I said here, the heretics have recently claimed a location, say either a city or world, that is crucial to their upcoming plans. Unfortunately, enemies also realise this and have sent a large force to rob the heretics of their prize. Despite their skill and strength, the opposing force is simply too much for the heretics to stand up to. What can they do to turn the tide in their favour and repel the invasion? So, I guess this is sort of leading into the concept of guerrilla warfare as such, or... or, or um, Forced uh, negotiations. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's all about limiting the amount of bloodshed. Too yeah. many people have died already for this. <laughs> we need to work together. That's right. This is a Black Retail episode, you realise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so, this, this, so this is, you know, we're talking about coming up with tactics which are not just me and the enemy on the open field of battle and fighting a magnitude, you know, 300 horde. Uh, with just your PCs and such. Uh, just a butter knife. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Uh, and I guess you'll often find in Black Crusade that your characters are certainly very strong combatants in any arena they will face. So to take away that advantage is potentially a, a, a big thing because it means they've got to sort of think of other ways other than just combat to deal with a particular problem as such. Yeah. So, you know, non linear warfare as such. And Yeah, not, not direct you know, face-to-face combat. You've got to remember, you've got to keep your group in mind when you set these sort of things up. Because if you've got a group which is three followers of Korn, they're going to want to fight face-to-face against insurmountable odds regardless. Which may end up with at least three dead characters. So just be careful. Points will come back. Sorry, sorry, infamy points will come back. Yeah. More corruption and less infamy. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe with a better sense of not going into suicidal battles. Yeah, I mean it's just a case of creating reasons why players have to think the way around the situations that would otherwise yeah. be something they could just throw themselves headlong at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's there's, there's, there's an infinite amount of different sort of concepts of doing that, but this is just one in this case, and it sort of plays back to how could you use things like fear in order to affect that or, or other elements as such. You know, withdraw from where you appear to be and then strike them from the side, whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah, and and it, I would try as a GM try and find ways to not make this just resolve as a combat. If they're trying to avoid standard combat, then resolve it narratively. Don't resolve it as a reduced horde size or that sort of stuff. You know, make, make actually give the players clear results for their for their activities as well. Okay, yeah. all right, just one thought. Anyway, let's keep going. Revere the Omnisia, for it is the source of all power. So for war gear. I, I want to quickly talk about not so much a single item, but a group of items, and this is rune weapons. Uh, once again, this appears in Tome of Blood. So, Mike, what is a rune weapon? How, how does a rune weapon come into being? Okay, so a rune weapon is the remains of a demon weapon which has been broken. So the bound demon has escaped. Or been set free. Sorry. Or been set free. Yep. And not decided to obliterate the prison that it was trapped in. Perhaps it's not a powerful enough demon 
or some other reason. Yeah, some, some sort of... Uh... It, it, it just liked it for some reason. It'd been there for so yeah, long, you know. It, was a... it, it felt <laughs> it shouldn't. Oh. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Um, and the result is the weapon is left behind. Yeah. And generally speaking, after a demon's been trapped inside a weapon for any period of time, that weapon is irrevocably corrupted. Yeah, that's right. And the result is it becomes very good at killing things. Yeah. So even it, without a demon inside. Yeah. So it, even it didn't even it didn't have it before it gains tearing and tainted. Yep. Um, it can no longer be destroyed by power weapons. It loses uh, the primitive. Lose the primitive quality as well. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So uh, I just like the idea that you do this with like a bludgeoning weapon or something like a warhammer. You now, you now have a tearing warhammer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a brutal warhammer. That's right. Yeah. Or a tearing flamer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, this is possible as such. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I, it, it's a, a cool thing because it means you can do something with, yeah, you can create something that has a clear background, the sort of background that Dean Weapon has, without giving the players something as powerful as a demon. A, you know, a demon weapon or so. Yeah, so, and it also gives you advantage of they get a powerful demon weapon, but they have to release the demon. They still get something out of it, or yeah. there's a chance to still get something out of it. And there is there's a sidebar there, and it says that you know if in play your character's demon weapon gets released, yeah. there's a role you can make for any demon weapon to see if the weapon survives the process. Yeah, because sometimes it can. Yeah, sometimes, um, sometimes the demon bursts bodily through whatever the piece of equipment is, though, and and obliterates it, or as it's leaving, it decides to completely eradicate its old prison. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes the wielder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess one question would be: Would you say that a um, a rune weapon is still suitable to be have another demon bound into it. Yes. Yeah. I'd say you know what it's particularly suitable for? Legacy weapon? Bounding binding that same demon <laughs> back into it. Because as in the in the core book it says, you know, if the weapon has a particular resonance to that demon, you get bonuses. Yeah. I would say having been the prison for that demon before Probably a good example. Probably a good example of a resonance. So, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, potentially you could break the weapon down and use parts of the weapon to forge a new weapon. A new one. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, so. I mean all these things are certainly possibilities. You could you know, you've you've got an old demon sword and the demon gets out and you decide to break it down and use part of the hilt to make, you know, some sort of decoration on the back of a lightning claw. Yeah, go for it. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. there's, there's no, no, another cool thing there, anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, let's get on to our reviews. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. Okay, so when I was writing today's episode, I, you know, we, we're sort of starting to struggle for stuff to review as we've gone through all the sort of main books line. We, you know, we've we've covered board games, we've covered books, we've covered computer games, we've covered other aspects of the system, and. You know, today I was, it was literally down to today. I was still making notes today's episode, and the last thing I didn't have was a review. Yeah. So I thought, you know what? That because of this whole thing with GW licensing all the stuff recently, there's going to be more and more stuff coming out, licensed material. So I jumped onto Steam to see what was recent, and I saw a new game that came out on Steam uh, in May of this year. Uh, that's called Warhammer 40k Carnage Champions. Carnage Champions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it was... Uh, so on, on uh, Steam, it usually shows you've got mostly positive reviews, um, average reviews, or mostly negative reviews. And this one had mostly negative. Oh, dear. So, so I thought, here we go. This is a good chance for us to... Bag go back, something out? Go back to the heyday of, um, you know, when we talked about... The Radicals Handbook. Radicals Handbook. And, and let's, let's actually get something that is, you know, we can really pan as such. And the funny thing is that I, I'd played... The original Warhammer Forty K Carnage was an early game I played. Never mentioned on the show before as well. It's an iOS slash Android game 
uh, a side-scroller action game as such. And, and it looks like um, Carnage Champions is just the next iteration of that, effectively. You know, so. Uh, but I, I, I'm not going to talk much about Carnage. I didn't play too much of it. But I'll talk about Carnage Champions because I did pay my nine dollars ninety nine to, to buy it. I did download it, and, and before we recorded this episode, I spent oh, probably a good three hours playing it. Uh, are we, um, we going to pause here so I can have a quick go? Because <laughs> if you want to, sure. Yeah, I think we should. Okay, I, I'll, I think I'll, I should I'll sit. put this on pause now then. Okay, so by the magic of radio, Mike has now had a five-minute play of, uh, of Carnage Champion. So first on Mike, just your quick impressions after five minutes. It's not that bad. Yeah. I've certainly played worse. <laughs> so basically, and, and this is a good point, I actually enjoyed it. I, I, I think that the um, the panic on Steam is a bit rough. Now... I, from- I have to say, you know, his name's Carnage Champions. I'm not exactly <laughs> expecting something, you know, Shakespearean in scope. <laughs> That's it. I mean, the game is so it's a side-scrolling game. So I mean, you got to remember this is designed for tablets. So, but I'm playing on a PC. But it's a side-scrolling game. Uh, so you're you're actually pretty much left, right, up to jump, and then you've got uh, melee. You've got two attacks. So you, generally, it's it's um, like range, range, range and melee. Some characters can get two ranged weapons and such. So it becomes left gun, right gun, and such. Uh, and then you got other gears will do things like give you special abilities or jump packs that you jump higher, etc. As well. Uh, and you're pretty much just making your way along, killing all the opponents in level, and you, what you're trying to do is basically get three stars in each level, like get enough points to get three stars, and you unlock more gear, and it's got a role-play type system of just jumping gear on your character, so uh, I guess it's like the the role-play system of Diablo mixed with just the side-scrolling action of you know, 80s arcade games, basically. Yeah. Um, now, I'm pretty sure that the negative feedback it got was because of when it first launched, or at least the old, the original Carnage game had a had a huge amount of microtransactions. Uh, so, so the game was effectively free, but you know everything was like you know if you want to be able to respawn, if you want to be able to get gear, if you want to get money to buy gear, then all those things require spending real world, real world money. Yeah. And then what they did was more recently is they scrapped the microtransactions, replaced it with in-game currency, and effectively you paid a higher price to buy the game up front. Um, so that might have been the reason that a lot of people sort of panned it. I, like, I, I only had one major problem with it. That is that uh, effectively every time you left click on my ma- on a PC, you left click the mouse, you shoot. So if you're not doing anything else, you imagine we're running around shooting all the time. So just constantly left clicking, left clicking. You can't hold down to keep shooting. You've got to actually put like it's basically one shot per push. And so the problem is that when you die in the game, it gives you three options. It gives you do you want to respawn at, at this spot? And you can do that. Each character can do that twice um, per level as such. Yep. Do you want to restart the whole level or do you want to quit back to the menu? The issue is that when you die, the mouse pointer automatically moves to restart level. So if you're just clicking away trying to fight stuff and the moment your character dies, the menu pops up and bang, you restart the level. You don't get the option to use a respawn. Oh. Uh, and I, and I like there's one that I just stopped playing because... I couldn't get through it, but I also couldn't, like, 
like not die and not hit restart level at the same time as such, you know. So I moved on oh, to. Okay, it. yeah, that, that yeah. would be a pain in the ass. <laughs> that's it. So that's just, that's just a, a, a programming issue as such. There, it's annoying because even if you didn't move your mouse remotely, if you had to actually go move the mouse to there, it would be less of an issue as such. Yeah. Um, and the way it works as well is that you, the original game, pretty much had one character. You were an ultramarine the whole game. This one has five characters, um, and the way it works is once you get a certain number of stars on each character you unlock the next character. So you start with an ultramarine, then you unlock a, a blood angel, then you unlock a sister of battle, then you unlock a dark angel, then you unlock a space wolf. Um, and and they're your basic five characters. And, and the characters themselves, like, they seem to share some of the gear, but they are also quite unique as such. So um, what I did find in the game was as soon as I got a piece of gear that was regenerate so much health per second, the game's easy mode. Because, you know, no matter how much health I look, because there's no other way to regain health during a level other than your character, like, experience leveling up. Okay. Uh, otherwise, there's no there's no health drops, you know, unless there's a special ability which I haven't come across. But if you've got a piece of gear which regenerates you, you just, you know, stop and wait and your health will return to full and you can get going on, you know. So it's like having unlimited respawns in the level and such. Unless one opponent could possibly take you down from full health to no health, that's where you'd have trouble and such. But I just found the game became easier after my Blood Angel got a chess piece which regenerated health per second. Okay. Yeah, but look, you know, I enjoyed the game. But for nine dollars, I mean, I've paid, I've paid ten times as much money for games I've played for less than three hours. Yeah. You know, and and what's, what I like about the fact is it's got a heavy metal soundtrack, and it's like playing the old um, uh, Unreal Tournament as well, where there's this sort of voiceover. That, yeah, when you start, you know, doing these games like Carnage, you know, yeah. <laughs> Devastation. <Most good>. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it, 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 it feels it, it between the soundtrack and the fact that occasionally some kills go into slow mo, and 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 the guy you know yelling yelling um, uh, superlatives through the, through the speaker at you, it's actually it feels quite epic to play the game. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So I, I don't agree with the with the mostly negative. I would give it an average to to, to positive review as such. Oh. Uh, but that's it's relatively short review. So I mentioned you mentioned before the Horus Heresy. Um, just over a year ago, we reviewed Warhammer 30k. We talked about, I think there were three books out at that point in time that you had, you'd gotten all three and you talked about them. We don't need a full review, but do you want to just give us a quick update on how the Horus Heresy stuff is coming along now? It's still going, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, they're up to book six now, with book seven shortly on the horizon. So, we're up to three. So, they've covered now the Betrayal of Kalf and the uh, Shadow War, which, which went on. So, Word bearers and world eaters versus ultramarines, mostly. Yeah. Um, they've covered more of the general scope of the war, the, the push towards terror by by um, Horus. So now we've got the shattered legions and the black shields. Black shields are actually mentioned in um, um, Death Watch. Death Watch yeah. and Death Watch actually makes mention of it. It says, you know, this is a tradition ba- dating back to the. Uh, you know, the oldest days of the Star Days, and this is actually what it's talking about, is the fact that back in the old days, some space marines would renounce their legion, and they would band together in groups of essentially mercenaries, or warriors for a cause, whichever side it may be. They'd ditch all their livery, they'd ditch their colours, they'd paint all their armour black, scavenge armour off of the dead if need be, and paint that black as well, and they'd go into battle, fighting for whichever side they felt. Sometimes it would change from battle to battle. Um, so there's rules for those guys now as well, and you've got your Shattered Legions, so if you don't want to have just Ultramarines or just Space Wolves, you can 
mix and match regions however you see fit. And he also brings in the aspect that you can have loyalist and traitor versions of any legion now. So if you want to play traitor imperial fists, it's got the setup there for you to do so. Mostly okay. it's narrative, but there, there is some stuff there. And book seven's just on the horizon this now. This is Prospero, isn't it? It's Prospero, so we'll have... They've got the rules out for all the legions now, except for Space Wolves and Thousand Suns, and that's what we're looking at with the next book. And that's what you want to play, isn't it? It's Thousand Suns, isn't it? Well, oh, I've, no, got, no, I've no, got no, Empress Children. Empress Children, sorry, um, yeah. I might pick up some Thousand Suns allies, or maybe make a um, Shad Legion Thousand Suns Empress Children. I've got a bit, after the last episode of the show we did, I've decided I am going to buy some... Uh, 30k uh, salamanders. Salamanders. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, it's a good choice. They're a good army. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I, particularly the um, the Forge World Pyrocast miniatures look oh, beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, all I, the I, Forge World I, stuff looks pretty damn good. I mean, there's, there's a couple of models which look terrible, like the Dorito Dreadnought. If, yeah. if you haven't had a look at it, look at it after we we finished it. It's pretty dreadful looking. Yeah. Um, but most of the stuff looks really pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and. Salamanders have got some powerful abilities, but they've also got some negative drawbacks. So they're not one of the overpowered armies. Good. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that the 30k stuff are coming on really nicely as well. And yeah, um, it's, it's getting a huge following now. And they've just announced that they're going to start releasing some of the plastic models that came with the Patrolling Calf box set in the normal GW store. So you'll be able to pick up some plastic stuff. Okay. From your Games Workshop store. Yeah, because I've, I've heard rumours that a few gaming shops have actually started buying boxes of things like Betrayal and Kalth and, 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 and breaking up and selling the miniatures separately. Yeah, because yeah. there's a huge discount in buying those box sets. Yeah. You know, um, for, I think, Betrayal and Kalth is it's about $220 here in Australia. Yeah. Um, buy, and you get 30 Tactical Marines, a Dreadnought, two characters, five Terminators. Which is easily the guts of five hundred dollars through Forge World. Yeah. It's in resin through Forge World, but the plastic models are actually really good quality. Yeah, but hey, you're you're a Gene Steelers player. You would you know the, the oh. serious player. The Gene Steelers in in Space Hulk, but especially the Brood Lord. Yeah, you know some of the best figures out there. So. And, and in Death Watch as well, the, the hybrids in Death Watch are excellent models as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I mean, I think that. Uh, what, what do you think will happen though with uh, if they do a, se- a new edition next year? If they if they're not finished with the thirty well, K stuff, they released the very first book for Horus Heresy was back in end of fifth, fifth, fifth? beginning of sixth. Yeah, and we're up to seventh edition now. They just they just release updates to the rules every so often. They've just released the update as I, as I mentioned in the uh, news section. They've just released the updates to the army lists now. Yeah. Um, so they're all updated now. It's funny. At first, like, given how popular... like I've got a lot of friends that play 40k. Yeah. And just looking at my Facebook feed, so many are posting pictures of buying four or miniatures of 30k. And at one point I, I wondered, I wonder if this is going to have a detrimental impact on the base 40k game. But, but I figured that... Because I can still go into Games Workshop stores to my time. People, everyone's playing 40k. Yeah. So I reckon that 30k is appealing a lot to the, the long-term fans of 40k... Yeah, you know who love the who love the fluff and have the money to spend on Forge World figures. Well, that, that's it. There was a lot of fear in the community of Forge World play. You know, the, the Horus Heresy players saying, "Well, if the plastic stuff comes out, it's going to get more people into it, and we don't want that because they want to play with their, their nicely painted, fluffy armies. They don't want to play against the hardcore tournament, 
you know, cheese list players that come along from 40k. Yeah, that's, the, that's the, what they're scared of. The, the, the same sort of people that like to do, you know, miniature games that reenact actual wars. Actual wars. That are sometimes one-sided. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and there were plenty of scenarios in Horus Heresy where the battles are one-sided. Yeah. Yeah. All right, no worries. All right, well, there's, 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 there's not really a regular review, just a couple of chats about things that are coming out in our impressions on them. But yep. uh, let's move on to our final discussion. Okay. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. Okay, so as I mentioned at the start of the show, I wanted to talk a little bit about fear, not so much as a mechanical thing, but as a tool to use in the game, particularly in Black Crusade. Yep. Now, we have spoken about horror in the past, in, in earlier shows as well. This is less about you know the aspect of running narrative horror. It's more about the impacts of fear, because fear can add a lot to a game, it can also take a lot away if it's done poorly. Yeah. Uh, as we've discussed before, that one of the things that's really hard to get over with players is the concept that I've lost control of my character. Yeah. Um, you know, so someone makes a fear. Okay, look, let's go back to our Roll20 game. Not the last session we just did, but the one before that. Somebody ended up failing a, a roll and was literally, I think it was nine rounds they rolled. They were going to be out for vomiting, vomiting on the ground. ground. You know, so, so that, that character is effectively... Yeah, the players may as well go to the toilet, you know, or go and make a coffee or something while everyone else just keeps enduring the game because they are effectively written out for that, that period of time. Um, and I guess in, in Black Crusade it's also important too, not just because, you know, the the it has the same theme mechanics everything else does. And I'm trying to think, is there actually anything in Black Crusade which says that the Chaos Space Marines are immune to fear? No. 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 All you get in Black Crusade is yep. all characters get a bonus plus 10 to fear. Yeah. So all, all your fear levels are moved one, sh- one step, one step yeah. easier. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in Death Watch, it basically says that Marines yeah. are not subject to... They shall know no fear, but Chaos Space Marines don't have that un- unshaking faith in the Emperor anymore. Yeah. You know, can they have unshaking faith in <laughs> the Chaos Gods? Absolutely. <laughs> but they have to spend experience to buy that through Fearless. That's <laughs> what it comes down to. You know, You've got to be really careful with this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I guess when you're playing, like, I think one of the things about Black Crusade is your characters are going to be so much larger than everything else around them. Yeah, you know that they are not just plebs. Like you know, in, in Dark Heresy, you're plebs in the, in the Inquisition. You know, uh, yes, you're a step above the uh, the people around you, but you don't necessarily look that way as such. You know, you just have access to additional traits and abilities. Yeah. Whereas in in Black Crusade, you are. You know, almost the cream of yeah, you're, society. You're chosen champions of the gods. That's it. No, and then, the gods have noticed your existence. Yeah, and running away screaming really takes something away from that as well. I think you know. So, yeah. And it really it, it damages that that mystique we were talking about before with with night lords and such. That yeah. So, so what, do you, what do you call them? Sir, Sir Brown Pants. Yeah. Or Brother Brown Pants. Captain, <laughs> Captain Brown. Captain Brown Pants. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, there's things that I do in my games as well. So. There is a mechanic of stepping out of it in-game. And, and particular fear things will say, you know, uh, you can, you're can you affected by this until you step out of it. Yeah. Generally speaking, when it's not... When a, when a fear effect will occur for a number of rounds, as, as was the case with that Dark Heresy game, I say, you know what? The player can still roll a step out of it every single round. Because there's a chance that they can get back into it. They're not just written off for the next seven rounds straight as such. Yeah. I mean, what else have you found in games, really, is are the sort of problems that come from fear checks? Um, I suppose the main 
problem is what to do if everyone's affected by fear. Yeah. If everyone's incapacitated by fear against a gene stealer, you know, dark heresy game, you know, three rounds, say, that's three rounds of a gene stealer going to town on a group of acolytes. You're going to have at least one dead acolyte at the end of that. Yeah. There's not really much you can do about it. Um, so you have to sort of... Sometimes you have to house rule these things yeah. and, and, you know, you can always dodge, you can always parry, even if you're terrified in fear throwing up on the floor. You can still sort of try and... Well, you know how I handle that? Is, is if the entire group failed a fear check, I wouldn't actually go to the shock table. I'd just say the whole group breaks and runs. Yeah. Yeah, and then we're no longer in combat time. We're now in narrative time because we're now narrating the group Running, run, running away from you know, something that's pursuing those such and when 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 they as a group turn to fight that's when we go back to to, to combat time as well you, you know what I probably yeah I think that's probably a good idea but I think I might actually go a step further and I might narrate that you know unless something severely changes for the characters they're not going to want to turn around and fight the game yeah. as a collective group they have all decided F this yeah better part of Valor better part of Valor <laughs> <laughs> we'll find another way to do this. We're not going to fight it here in these dark, murky catacombs underneath the hive. We're going to fight it somewhere which is more advantageous to us. And until they get into that situation, I'd say that no, you can't turn around and start fighting it just because you don't, just because you want to now. Yeah, because you will power something. Keep doing it. Hold on a second. I'm actually hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the other thing is this is less an issue with uh, with Black Crusade, but. I found in my first edition Dark Heresy game that fear checks were the primary source of insanity and corruption points. Yes. And given how hard these things are to buy down, um, it really those are sort of they're they're mostly a one way street. You know, you you acquire and acquire more until your character basically becomes unplayable. So a lot of players resent getting uh, getting insanity and corruption from from fear, and it's actually funny because. Uh, in a uh, two session game where we had a fear check and some people failed uh, I completely forgot that second edition Dark Heresy because I, I was so used to first ed where it would say the amount of insanity you gain in the shock table yeah. whereas in second ed it's based upon failing a, a fear check by three or more degrees of failure so I looked at the table I don't, I don't see insanity therefore I don't, I don't issue any insanity as such and likewise when you get insanity from a warp crazy thing you should get corruption as well so one of the players said hey when we got filed those fear checks for that demon, should we have gotten some insanity and corruption? I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I really should do that. But I'm now, glad I didn't fail it. <laughs> but are people going to get upset at that now? Because well, no, they they shouldn't. And this is the other side of the coin that you have to be careful of: is that if you cheapen the ability of fear and things, and you make it so that everyone's passing all the time, it makes players who have got good willpower and you know have spent experience on resist fear and all that sort of thing feel a little bit ripped off as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking here in terms of like fear is, I think, is a fun mechanic. It is, uh, it is. but but it can really it, it can be not fun if you've got like twenty willpower and you're always failing. Yeah, but as a player, you chose to do that with your character. <laughs> if you true. if you start your character with twenty willpower in a points by system, you know what's going to happen. You know, yeah. you have actively taken the choice to play a coward. But then that, that, that creates the problem that I don't like in role-playing games where people say that, okay, I'm, I'm doing point buy, I have to buy at least this because otherwise the character becomes unplayable. Yeah. 
technically speaking, a, a character should be playable with any option you can create to yeah, encourage a creation. Absolutely, so. you just have to avoid getting into fear-causing situations. Yeah. Or judge accordingly that when you go into a fight with a fear-causing creature, you're not going to be doing anything for the start of the fight. Yeah. Can I just say, as, as a quick, as, as an aside, one thing that I think that all the games in this line do very well is make it so that you make when you make a starting character, it's almost impossible to make a character which is ineffective. Yeah, you know, like the way the way the skills and talents, everything, you know, all the systems, the way it's allocated means that you'll always have a character which is able to do the base of what they need to do as such. Even I, I have to disagree with that on only one of the lines, yep. which is only war. Okay. I find somewhat that the characters are fairly useless at the vast majority of things they should be able to do. Okay. I mean, they still have the skill. It really comes down to the... the... No, they, they, they just okay. plain yeah. don't have the skill and they've only got, you know... 30 in the stack with a minus 20 penalty. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just wanting to start the games I looked at recently. Like when I was going through the character creation system in A Time of War, which is the, the new MechWarrior RPG, or well, not new anymore, it's, it's a few years old now, but there, if you don't know what you're doing, the first the first few characters you make will be completely game ineffective. Yeah. You know, they, they, will, they will be ridiculously good at one thing, but completely hopeless at being able to, be able to get to the point where they'll use that skill as such. So. Yeah, I, I'm... I feel to some degree that it's particularly with only war, yeah. you have to make sure that your starting adventures are starting adventures. It's like D and D; you don't throw them into combat at first level against a dragon. Yeah, you just with, don't with, do with, it with, with four hit points. Yeah, yeah. your you kobolds and your goblins, and I think for only war in particular, you have to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, getting back to the fear side. Yeah. Uh, so, Mike, if you're a gym, so you say you're gym in a game, all yeah. right, and you've got a group of say four players. You enter a combat, three people pass their fear check, one person has a failure which basically puts them out of out of combat for five to six rounds. Yeah. How would you handle that? If it's happening regularly, I might say to the other players, you can, you know, slap the person around the face to give them a plus ten on their, you know, snap out of it roll or yeah. something along those lines. Or if they go into fear or shock... And the rest of the party's being absolutely minced. I might say you can spend a fate point to snap out of it automatically if it is a, a an absolute dire situation. I actually, a couple of times in my Dark Racing game, I actually house rule people to be able to stim somebody because, you know, think of it like a, like a shot of adrenaline, yeah. you know, in order to actually um, at least become... Carry some friends on with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know you're going to be going into a fight against a fear-causing creature? Dope yourself up on stuff that gives you huge bonuses to willpower. There are plenty of drugs that do it in the game. Yeah. You know, there, there are ways around it, it, it for the players. It's just that most of them aren't pleasant. Some of them are, are probably less pleasant than the actual failing the fear check. Yeah. Like addiction and all that sort of stuff, but, yeah. All right, let's move on to another topic along the same line then. Okay, so we've talked about players being affected by fear. Something that Black Crusaders more of is players that cause fear. Yeah. So, and it comes down to when does something actually cause fear? Because it's one thing to have a, a fear rating, okay? It's another thing to be constantly causing fear. Like, if, if a character had a very hard time, if they had, say, like a fear rating of three, and they went walking around, you know, trying to buy stuff at a, at a you know, on, on a chaos world at a merchant bazaar, and everybody around them was screaming and running away and, and, and vomiting, vomiting on the floor... <laughs> Well, this this always raises the question for me, which is Gene Steelers and Brood Brothers. Yeah. Brood Brothers have no immunity to fear, no resistance to fear, 
No special abilities that let them ignore fear, even caused by gene stealers. (laughs) So does that mean every time a gene stealer comes up to give them an order, a hybrid or whatever, they're suddenly screaming, waving their arms in the air and running away? So I've often said that something has to be actively either adversarial towards you or actively trying to effectively cause that fear. I mean, it's going to be disquieting for sure. Yeah. Mean, the guy <laughs> walks into your shop with his, you know, a bone skull as the flesh is slowly burned away on his head constantly, <laughs> never seeming to get any better. That's, that's going to make the shopkeeper uneasy, but he, yeah. he, you know, and he might certainly want to get rid of the character as quickly as possible. But, that, but that's, that's a roleplay thing, and I guess yeah. that's what's more important, is that, that the, the roleplay aspect of fear is often the fun part, yeah. not the system aspect of fear as such. Yeah, I, I think with causing fear as players, you have to sort of play that up a bit. And I think it should be the same way as well. You know, if they go into a negotiation with you know, some scary Xenos alien like a slaw or something like that, you know, a big mass of maggots standing there, if it's not actively hostile towards the character, I don't think they should have to test fear for just walking into the room with it. Yeah. The only difference I would say to that would be demons. I would say demons, you know, you go into a negotiation with a demon prince, you have to make a fear check still. Because they're unnatural enough that it's always on. They're always terrifying, even to followers of chaos. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's... Yeah, some some things get to the point where it's hard to just become immune to that, if anyway. Yeah. What about people constantly... I I know obviously the mechanic says that you are no longer subject to fear once you hit certain insane levels, yeah. which doesn't exist for the for the record in Black Crusade. Yeah. Uh, but does, it, does, it go, does anything else give you that, that benefit in Black Crusade? No. What about if you're constantly exposed to the same fear-causing source? And this is back to your gene stealer argument as well, you know. Well, it also comes back to the slaughter as well. Yeah. They're not immune to fear. Yeah. So two slaughter get together to have a discussion and suddenly one runs away in terror from the other one. <laughs> doesn't really work that way. Um, I, I think you have to sort of, as we said before, you have to hand wave it a little bit and you have to make some discussions, but jaded would probably be something you'd be wanting to buy fairly early on if you're dealing with lots of ugly, ugly mutants yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, but if you wanted to house roll it, you might say your infamy has the same sort of influence as your fear rating. Maybe... You know, but 20 infamy, you're immune to fear one, or 30 infamy, or 40 infamy, you might set a limit and then say, you know, every 20 after that makes you immune to another level. You're coming into the realm of house rules here, because you're right, something has to happen. Abaddon isn't going to go, oh, I'm scared. He's he's not, generally. Yeah. But he's also, he, I very much doubt he would have the fearless talent because he doesn't suffer the negative side of fearless, which is you can't back down from a fight and you have to stay fighting or make a willpower test to withdraw. Yeah. Doesn't really fit with him either because he's a bit more of a pragmatist. So. Well, he's got a very high willpower, though. And he, he probably does. He probably Although, does. Though he, has, he does have some impulse control issues. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well... Yeah, I think we're going into house rule territory. That's right, yeah. That's, that's all right. We're not, we're not really on a rule section here. Yeah. But I guess the thing is that, that fear is something that you've got to be really careful using in your game. Um, horror, you know, for sure. Horror, the bit about, about horror role playing is that the players bring the fear to the game. Yeah. But, you know, in some cases the game brings the fear yeah, to the characters. I, I, I think a good way of doing it would be to say to the players, you're, you're in negotiations with this 
thing, whatever it is, it has a fear rating of three. Yeah. And you just say to the players, no matter how you want to act, you cannot act blasé or indifferent to this thing. Just keep that in mind as you're role-playing. You know, because some people do that. They go, oh, the king, oh, yeah, whatever, dude. And, and they get really blasé and sort of confrontational with characters, sorry, with NPCs in positions of power just yeah. because... I'm not afraid, so therefore my character wouldn't be afraid. Yeah. But yeah. If they, were, <laughs> if they were smart enough play, you should be able to say to them, no, your character is afraid, but it doesn't mean he's going to be vomiting on the floor when he's trying to enter this negotiation with something who's potentially an ally. Even when you get things like Fearless, and look at Marines in Death Watch, it does say that they don't experience the irrational aspect of fear, but that doesn't mean that they don't understand when something is a very scary. serious threat and scary to them as such. You know, yeah. they, they, they understand that sometimes you know, we can't win here, this thing is too tough for us, we need to back it, act down because... Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to die here. They're not afraid of death, but they realise it's a pot that becomes a real possibility. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll go with that. All right, just just a bit of food for thought for your own games as well. Certainly, it's fear something I, I love to use. I love horror. I love fear. I just got to be careful with with you know how it affects other players and low willpower players. That's exactly right. Yeah, well, yeah. low willpower characters. That's yeah, true. Both, both. both yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've said it before in the podcast. I've had a player leave a game because he found the game too scary. Yes. <laughs> Alright, no worries, let's keep going. All astropaths in the choir chamber, message incoming. So normally this part of the show we go through any feedback that we've received or any sort of uh, new reviews. I'm going to be honest, I actually haven't had a chance to check iTunes if you've got any new, any new uh, feedback or any, any new uh, reviews there, but if you do enjoy the show, please do take a moment to, to like us on iTunes. I have had a little bit of feedback in the last, uh, in the last fortnight. First one came from um, our friend Tim over at FFG, yep. uh, who I'll just point out as well, recently guested on the Order 66 podcast as well, talking about Savage Spirits of Force and Destiny. So yep. uh, if you want to catch up with what, hear what Tim's up to these days, make sure you check that episode out as well. Uh, but he also did respond to our last episode where we spoke briefly about um, uh, older editions of the game and, and add-on packs. And uh, he'd point out there was actually boxed expansions for the additional um, additional original Space Hulk. Uh, and also uh, books that collected the various um, White, like Dwarf. White Dwarf articles into, in, 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 and house rules as such. And so, uh, for example, um, there were add-on miniatures, new tiles for the actual game as well. Um, I remember yeah. there used to be new tiles that would come out in, in, games, in White Dwarf uh, issues, and you'd yeah. have to pull out the pages and stick them to some cardboard, you know, some old cereal packets and chop them up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I remember. Um, okay, so, 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 I did, so there was some original stuff from, from uh, Space Hulk. Uh, also, Johnny via Google Plus uh, contacted as well and, and made one little correction to my background of, uh, of the Salamanders, yeah. saying that it wasn't Kurz who actually um, uh, caused Lothar to uh, be sent to McCrag. It was one of the powers of his hammer. Um, so basically got him out of there I'm, I, I don't know the, the fluff behind it I'm not sure why his hammer had the rather unique power of can teleport from anywhere in the universe to the to the upper atmosphere of McCrag um, but uh, I mean he made the hammer and he made it for Horus so maybe he thought something that Horus might need at some point in time yeah. but no it's, it, I did check it and it is correct it was actually when he reached his hammer that was what he was able to use to teleport himself away from um, from Curse's influence as well uh, I did get one other communication this week as well uh, that I, I'm, I'm going to share with you, Mike. Um, this was an email I got, um, and it says, I'm going to read this. It says, hi there. 
Uh, Chris here. I'm a huge fan of your show and one of your many listeners. I would like to personally invite you to Pundit, an app that offers a fun and interactive way to talk with your fans with voice. And then it goes on to talk all about this product that he's basically trying to push. I really feel like responding back with, ah, oh, you like our show? What's your favourite episode? Because yeah, it really does feel like, <laughs> insert, insert, canned, yeah, insert canned email here and such. So I'm going to write that one off as not true feedback and such. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. say so. That's it. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, if you do want to contact us and you're not an advertiser trying to get us to buy a product, uh, you can do it through many ways. Our website, which is still in the sort of um, lip home mode at the moment, is uh, www.grim.podcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plusgrimdartpodcast. Uh, we tweet through at grimdartpodcast, and our email is show at grimdartpodcast.com. Right now, our voicemail link on the website is down, and also the affiliate link to Drive RPG is down. So yep. we'll talk about those at a future point. But if you are listening to this show, you know, wait well after it uh, was, was originally published, you may find these things back up again. So please do feel free to leave us a voicemail on the website or follow our affiliate link to support the show through Drive Through RPG. Anyway, next episode will be episode 70. I think that will be one more episode before Gen Con. Yeah. Uh, so that'll be a uh, Only War show. Uh, I know we're going to be talking about the Recon Regiment. Uh, we may then choose to also bring up the topic about making your characters an important part or basically building the story around your characters and not vice versa. Yeah. Uh, other stuff we'll have to work out between now and then. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we're sort of getting down towards the... We, we sort of need more stuff down to, to start... Supporting the, we, the, the we may have to uh, uh, drop the review section from some of these games and replace it with a new section in the uh, in, in the podcast. Oh, we'll figure out that anyway. We'll so, think about it. Yeah, but Dave, we look forward to catching you next time. Thanks for listening tonight, Mike. Thank you for taking part. Thank you very much, James. Thank and you we for will everyone. catch you next time. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibios Music Alley. Music.mibio.com.